Greetings, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this podcast talk. You know, it's always a challenge for those of us who give Dharma talks to speak in a skillful way to the truth, to the truths that we are pointed to um, realizing ourselves through the body in this practice. When we sit zazen, we, and as the mind settles more deeply, we settle into a non-differentiated space meaning a space where there is experiential oneness with the universe. This meditative absorption is sometimes called samadhi. And then sometimes we talk of positive samadhi, which is this um, absorptive understanding that all things are one, that the universe comes forward all of a piece, and that we're simultaneously part of that and a complete expression of all of it. Positive samadhi is holding that understanding as we move forward into action. So that we're acting from that place. This place that I speak of is beyond intellectual understanding. In fact, intellectual understanding, including this is true and that is false, gets in the way. Gets in the way of the understanding that I am um, attempting to speak of here. But this is just a preamble for today. Today, the topic for this talk is um, chanting practice. Now, I'll start by reading uh, a text originally written by Zen master Hakuun Yatsutani Roshi, who was my teacher's teacher's teacher. Um, one One of my teacher's teacher's teacher. My Zumi Roshi was actually transmitted by three different Zen masters. Um, and Hakuun, Hakuun Yatsutani Roshi was one of those. Um, so this text, Why We Recite Chants and Sutras, is by Hakuun Yatsutani Roshi, and it has since been revised a bit, um, though I trust that most of these words are his. Yatsutani Roshi says there are three reasons why we chant and read sutras. First, to make an offering to the Buddhist ancestors. Second, to create a noble relationship with all beings. Third, to unite these first two actions with our Buddhist training. 
And I'm just going to pause here and state that none of these three points can be accurately understood except from the viewpoint of the one mind. So as I continue this talk, this reading and this talk, um, let's be reminded of a principle for listening to Dharma talks, which is to let the mind be still, listen from our deepest, quietest place. So we're listening with the Zazen mind. We're letting the words flow through. So we're getting an experience of the Dharma talk. We're letting our conscious and subconscious minds be nourished. And then when the talk's over, we're letting it all go. We're letting it all go. This, um, this talk, this experience of listening to a talk is part of our practice life. And it's the whole of our practice life for the moment, and then it's gone, and then it's gone. So this reminder is another way of, st- of saying that intellectual um, understanding and attempts to grasp um, with our, I'm just going to say here, ordinary mind uh, are not the way here, are not the way. Okay, I'm going to continue with Yatsutani Roshi's words. The first reason to make a sincere offering to the Buddhist ancestors is a natural expression of gratitude for the opportunity to hear, believe, learn, and realize Buddhist teaching. The greatest delight of a Buddhist ancestor is for their followers to respect, maintain, and spread the teaching. Therefore, we sit before an icon of the ancestors and chant or read with the with sincerity the sutras, excuse me, and chant or read with sincerity the sutras they composed. In this way, express our gratitude to them. Second, Buddhists want others to know about, believe, and realize the noble teaching of the Buddha. In order to do this, we must chant or read sutras as often as possible. It is necessary and important to do this to establish a relationship with many people. Even chanting sutras alone or before a dead person has value. I will explain it to you. We chant sutras before others as an education of their subconscious minds. On the surface, it may seem that the effectiveness of teaching is limited by the extent of their understanding. If you have studied only a little about the subconscious, you will know that even though you do not grasp meaning with your conscious mind, you may understand very clearly with your subconscious. And if you have some conscious understanding, it may be a reflection 
of what your subconscious knows. Indeed, your subconscious mind operates with absolute control over your character. Even chanting or reading sutras alone in a mountain temple is announcing Buddha's teaching to the world and to the universe. For our ordinary minds, we need a radio station and a radio. However, all things come from the same source, so subconsciously all people and all the life of the universe receive perfectly the sutras recited by one person sitting alone. At a deep level, they accept completely the doctrines of Buddhism. Moreover, if you know the grandeur and subtlety of the thinking process, you will realize that even thinking chants and sutras without using the voice has a great influence upon the people of the world. Thus, whether or not others can see or hear, whether they are alive or long dead, if we chant sutras time and again with a great conviction to the visible and invisible worlds, we permeate everywhere and guide many to the truth saving all beings. Therefore, the chanting of sutras is very meaningful work. Sutra chanting is an element of Buddhist training, but its effectiveness is related to the way you chant the sutras, with energy and single-mindedness or half-heartedly. If you chant or recite sutras with great energy, and single-mindedness frequently, then your own samadhi power will be strengthened and you will be closer to awakening. If you have already had some degree of awakening, it will shine more brilliantly in your character and act more effectively in your everyday life. Please chant with your whole heart. Then there will be no difference between zazen and your chanting and recitation. And so that was the complete text by Hakuin Yatsutani Roshi. Please chant with your whole heart, then there will be no difference between zazen and your chanting and recitation. So sutra chanting practice, and we do a little of this uh, during most of our programs, even our current online programs, uh, chanting practice in its purest form is uh, this positive samadhi I talked about earlier. Uh, wholehearted means I'm completely involved in the practice. So when I chant uh, sutras, that's at least where I'm aiming for. Can I, uh, this is easier to do, uh, <laughs> Uh, so for some of us who have the chants completely memorized, it's actually possible to chant and also have the mind wandering off to someone else, somewhere else. Uh, uh, so that's a little advantage that uh, those of you who um, need to read the sutras from the sutra card have, uh, that 
due to that, um, due to not having the chance memorized, you might have a, a leg up there and staying present. But uh, anyhow, so what we aim for is this wholeheartedness, which means we're completely involved, completely involved. And this principle of wholeheartedness can, of course, be applied to everything. And we would strive to apply it to everything. Um, so we can wholeheartedly engage in whatever uh, task is in front of us, whether that task be a physical task or whether we're listening to a talk or uh, reading a text or whatever. So with wholehearted chanting, I'm present in the body, noticing the body, and I'm present especially with the breath and the flow of the words. I was always taught that the words are secondary. So again, this is a teaching that's pointing us um, away from the cogitating mind and into the experience. I would say that most of what is educated is this subconscious mind, is this deeper mind. So the words are not what I'm focused on. Not what I'm focused on. Later, maybe a little. Maybe a little. Maybe a little part of the mind is looking to see, um, kind of feel into my understanding of what the great master who composed the chant is pointing to in, in the words. But mostly I'm here now in the body, intoning the chant. Taking a breath when I need to and then chanting. And in that wholehearted chanting, um, one thing that's happening, says Yatsutani Roshi, is I'm expressing gratitude to the ancestors. So to the specific individual who wrote the chant, and then to the entire practice stream that brought this practice to me, to this particular body and place and time, and to this stream which I am now a part of, which we all are now a part of. So in chanting, we're also embodying this unity this non-separation between self and other, even throughout space and time, by just chanting, by just chanting, as those before us just chanted, and as those who come after us will continue to just express, just express. So many bodies doing the same action is in a somewhat paradoxical way, one most beautiful expression of one, um, oh my, what was I saying? Many beings throughout space and time doing the same action. And I demonstrate and celebrate that truth, that deep truth through myself, through this one unique body engaging in this action. 
again, this is something that as we uh, listen to this talk and we hear these words, we understand at some level. I'm willing to wager here. Some part of us understands how this is true. And in Zazen practice, we feel ever more deeply into this, into this, because it is the truth of the one mind, one heart. One mind, one heart, many, many, many expressions. Many, many, many expressions. Um, so part of us understands it. And to the extent it's unclear, the clarity, the further understanding is not going to come through cogitation. It's not going to come through discussion and debate. Mm-hmm. So this is the often tricky thing about this practice. Because we are used to, in our uh, Western education systems and cultures, we are used to arriving at our understanding through thought and discussion and debate and um, that kind of route. And all of that has its place in the study of the truth. But it's a secondary place. And the primary place goes to understanding through the body, goes to embodied understanding. And those of you who have practiced even a little zazen have some taste of what this is. We feel into the truth and into that place that knows, that knows with complete confidence the way forward. Back to Yatsutani Roshi and his first reason for chanting sutras to make a sincere offering to the Buddhist ancestors. Um, This is a natural expression, he says, of gratitude for the opportunity to hear, believe, learn, and realize Buddhist teaching. Right. So to have encountered these wondrous teachings and have the ability to put them into practice. How wonderful. How wonderful. And we then, uh, some of us are finding out, have an obligation to continue uh, this practice, which is sometimes difficult. Um, Sometimes difficult, but also wonderful. Uh, sometimes when practice gets difficult, so when feeling the body is difficult or uh, staying on the zazen seat is difficult, it helps to put my personal practice into a larger context. So I often say into the context of practicing with and for all beings, and then we can also hear add expression of gratitude expression of gratitude. And in some belief systems, there's this idea that the ancestors, those who are dead, can hear and appreciate our gratitude. So I don't know whether that's literally true or not, but 
let's chant with that mind. Let's chant with that mind that is receiving and grateful and also giving back in the same moment, in the same moment. This is the truth of the um, three wheels being empty. We have that line in our meal chant that we do during retreats. May we realize the emptiness of the three wheels, giver, receiver, and gift. Yes, and indeed we can express giver, receiver, and gift simultaneously in this one moment. All right. So we're making an offering with our chanting. We're expressing gratitude with our chanting. And then Yasutani's second point, um, we're spreading the teachings. And we're learning the teachings. Now sometimes we do do a sutra study where we look more into the meanings and sometimes the meanings of the chants. And sometimes I give talks on the content of the chants. You know, the bits that I understand. You know, elucidating those points. Um, so again, that kind of uh, looking into the truth definitely has its place. So there's this aspect of chanting that we are literally spreading the teachings as we chant. So again here, it's really helpful to remember the one mind. And we say spreading the teachings, our ordinary mind thinks, oh, we're spreading them to others. But we're also spreading them to ourselves. <laughs> because we have more and less awakened parts of ourselves. Mm. Yeah, so we're chanting for all those other people, but all those other people are not so separate from us. Even chanting sutras alone or before a dead person has value, he says. I will explain it to you. <laughs> he says we chant sutras before others as an education of their subconscious mind. On the surface, it may seem that the effectiveness of teaching is limited by the extent of their understanding. So we can read this as, when Yasutani Roshi says their understanding, their subconscious minds, really let that, again, with the perspective of the one mind, include ours as well. Hmm? Yeah. Ultimately, there are no others over there. So when we chant, we educate the conscious mind, we educate the subconscious mind. Uh, we study the sutras at some level by just reciting them. And this is also a very classic example of turning that Dharma wheel. We keep the practice going by engaging the practice. Mm. I'm scrolling through here um, to get to his third point. Oh, his third was uniting these first two actions with our Buddhist training. Yeah. Yeah, this is all the positive samadhi I spoke about earlier. Yeah, the wholehearted practice, which is uh, all of our practice, right? 
We don't have any aspect of practice that we recommend gauge, engaging in half-heartedly. The whole point of practice is 100%. You just do whatever you do 100%. Um, paying attention, throwing your life into it. Because why not? Why not? The entire uh, energetic resource of the universe is literally phasing through this body, your body, at this time. Um, It is not created or destroyed. It is not, you don't, um, if we don't express it all right now in this moment, it's not the kind of energy that gets to be saved for later. Because in the next moment, it is completely there. So if we don't express it in this moment, it's simply squandered. This is what we mean during the Sashin chant, part of what we mean. When we say, awaken now, take heed, do not squander your life energy. Your life energy is tremendous. It's tremendous. And again, it's accessed through this perspective of the one mind, which we grow to understand and embody and convey more and more thoroughly as we continue to engage wholeheartedly over time with this marvelous practice. Thank you again so much for engaging your own marvelous practice. Have a good day.